I will be reading today from the Complete Jewish Bible, Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Yes, I gave it all up in order to know him. That is to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings as I am being conformed to his death so that somehow I might arrive at being resurrected from the dead. It is not that I have already obtained it or already reached the goal. No, I am pursuing in the hope of taking hold of that for which Messiah Yeshua took hold of me. Brothers, I for my part do not think of myself as having yet gotten hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining toward what lies ahead. I keep pushing the goal in order to win the prize offered by God's upward calling in Messiah Yeshua. Happy New Year to everybody and uh, glad you're here today and didn't expect the weather to be quite like it was. But it's good. It's this time of year. It's white. This reminds us of the holidays, right? And we're just sort of now remember when I spoke a little while ago in October, we were sort of in that limbo time where it was too late to really think it was summer anymore, and it was too far from Thanksgiving. We were in, in sort of no man's land, uh, and now we're kind of in the holidays, but really we're, we just sort of finished it up this past ma- month and a half of the, the traditional holidays that we, that we tend to celebrate here in this country. Um, but the holidays you know, are typically a time when, when we get to visit with family, Right, that's one of the big things I think that the the idea of the holidays brings up. Um, usually, it's family members that you might not even see, except at that time of the year. Sometimes you only see those those folks around this time, so it's a special time. Um, part of uh, part of my family nowadays, since I've gotten married, uh, is located out of the country. Is this on? You can actually turn this off. It's just buzzing, or is that me? The speaker here. It, it doesn't, it's just FYI, I don't need it, so it's just kind of buzzing. <laughs> um, yeah, my, part of my family uh, is in India, so it's quite uh, an endeavor to go and see them. Um, and we, don't, we haven't been able to see them as regularly as we'd like to. Um, and it's been about two years now since we've gone there. And it's a big expenditure of effort to go there now. I mean, it, it is before, even if you go to a place like that by yourself, there are very long airplane rides and so forth. But now with, with a couple of more children, with four kids, a total of six of us going, it's quite an ordeal just logistically, as well as uh, expense-wise. It's not cheap. It's, you don't just uh, you know, pay a 35-cent toll to get across the ocean or something. I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's a pretty big deal, fairly expensive. So, um, so please pray, actually, for us, if you wouldn't mind, if you can remember us, uh, pray for our ability to to make it there soon. Uh, my my in-laws are, are aging, as we all are, but they're on the other, more toward the upper end of the spectrum. They're getting older, and they've got a lot of grandkids, and we've got a few to show them that they've seen, and some they haven't seen, and so we'd really like to get them to, to spend some time with them. So if you can remember us in prayer there. But in, I want to, you know, an important thing uh, when you're traveling to India is that you need to acquire an, an Indian visa. Different countries are different, but you need a visa to get into the country. So it's an Indian visa. It's issued by the, the country of India. So that's something that you've got to have when you go. But more importantly for me is when, is when I 
come back uh, from India is that it's very important that I have this. Anybody know what that is? Yeah. It's a U.S. passport. And it indicates that I am a, a bona fide citizen of the United States, right? And this is what enables me to get back into the U.S. once I leave India. So without this, I would be stuck at the border. I wouldn't be able to get back in. Um, now, when I'm in India, picture for a minute we're in India, right? I'll do this for a bit. We're in India right now, okay? Let's picture that, shake my head a little bit. Uh, I'm in India physically, but I'm still a citizen of the U.S. at that time, right? And why is that? Someone made up the rule. Right. But I, I'm a citizen of the U.S. because, uh, I mean, I'm a bona fide citizen. I got this passport, right? That, that tells you one thing, that I'm a citizen. Regardless if I'm standing in the middle of downtown New Delhi with your know, horses and carts and, and, and cows and everything you can imagine on the road around me, I'm, I'm still a U.S. citizen. I've got the passport, right? Um, I'm planning on being on the US, in the U.S., and when I get there, I'm going to show them this. Not there yet, though, right? When we accept Yeshua as Lord and Savior, when we believe that Yeshua is the incarnate Son of God, He's fully man, fully God, came, provided atonement, the effective atonement for our sins, when you believe that, you become a kingdom of a citizen, or a citizen of a kingdom also, a new citizenship, Right? you, in essence, receive a passport which grants you access to that kingdom. Same idea, whether you're here now or not. You're not there, but you've got the passport. But you're a bona fide citizen, nonetheless. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it for you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that, Therefore, if anyone is in Messiah, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. And Paul is saying there that once you trust in Yeshua, you're a new creation. You're born again. You're a possessor of a citizenship, a new life, a new citizenship, and a new life. And in the passage that we just read a moment ago from Philippians that was read to us by Paula, we heard Paul discussing what I believe is foundational for living as people who've become new citizens and have received this new life. It's very instructive there, how to live as new citizens with this new life. So today at the start of 2014, what I want to do is I want to look at this section of Scripture in Philippians that was read. And I want to look at it as, as not as a model for making New Year's resolutions, which we hear about this time of year, but I want to look at what Paul says here in Philippians 3 as our model for making a new life resolution because we're new lives and we're new creations and we have a new citizenship. So not New Year's resolutions, but making a new life resolution. And we'll talk about some of the details along the way. Um, I think my message title, I, it's maybe says new life resolutions, but basically I'm going to talk about one new life resolution uh, primarily. But as we go along, we'll, we'll talk about some of the details about that new life resolution. But as the kids uh, say nowadays, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. You know, spo you know what a spoiler alert is? Okay, spoiler alert is like, if I say, oh, did you see that movie the other day? Well, let me tell you what happens, and I I'm going to tell you the end before you see it. So it's, if you don't want to know the end, you know, but if you're going to hear the end, it's called a spoiler. I've spoiled it for you, spoiled the excitement. So I'm giving you a spoiler alert because I'm going to tell you the New Year's 
I'm sorry, the new life resolution right up front here. Um, and the new life resolution that I believe Paul is telling us here uh, is that as citizens of the kingdom and as new creations in Messiah, we need to pursue God with a purpose. Pursue God with purpose, actually. Pursue God with purpose. That's the new life resolution that I believe Paul's talking about here. And then I'm going to go through, we'll look at some of the, the things that make that up, that idea of pursuing God with purpose. So if you haven't already, you please turn in your Bibles. We'll, we'll primarily be in Philippians 3, uh, in, in chapter, in verses 10 through 14. Um, let me go around a few other places as well. But just prior to this, that what was read here, just prior to, to Philippians uh, 3.10, Paul gave a little speech. You know, if you read this in context, he's saying that anything that he could have pointed to uh, about his old life and about his old citizenship, he considers non-foundational to his new life and to his new citizenship. You know, just like when someone takes that, uh, that oath of citizenship in the U.S., they renounce their old citizenship, but they, they pledge allegiance to the new one to their new, new country. And Paul's doing the same here. He's not necessarily being um, vindictive or antagonistic about his former citizenship. And some people really want to focus on that and the evil stuff he's talking about, being Jewish and customs and all that. But he's not being vindictive or antagonistic necessarily. We read that in other parts of the Bible when you look in the book of Acts and you look in Romans. It's, it doesn't really fit with that there. He's not being that way. But what he is doing is he's making a very strong point to say that, you know, I'm a new citizen. I've got a new citizenship, and it's not based on the past. And with it, he has a new goal. And he says here at the beginning that his goal and his purpose is to live his new life in such a way as to know Yeshua. Now, translations vary here. Uh, I think David Stern kind of had, I remember what his was, that you, that's usually read the complete Jewish Bible. Um, but any of the translation that kind of gives the sense of this being Paul's purpose or his goal or his aim uh, is really the ones that are on the mark, okay? These are the ones that are on the money because the, 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 it's the idea of that my purpose is to know. My aim is to know. I want to know. If you've got something like that, that's a pretty, pretty good translation. It's, a really, it's an interesting way that it's, it's written in the original language there. But anything with purpose is really more on the money. And the word that's being used here that's translated as know it's kind of like the word we see on the front of our, our ark every week, and maybe you didn't notice, but on the, the blue cover, we've, I've said this many times, because it seems to come up a lot, but it says that, in English it says, to know before whom you stand, okay? And you get the idea there, that you, that's not just like, oh, it's God. I mean, know brings this, it's a very deep understanding of know, and it's the same idea, the same word, yada, or da in Hebrew, is where they get this word here in Greek that's being used, that's translated know. And again, it's, it's a deep knowing, and it's a deep knowing based on, a, on an experiential you know, experience in time spent with someone. It's something, <coughs> it's kind of akin to um, like an apprenticeship, if you can imagine a, an apprenticeship. The idea of being able to know God in this way, in this deep way, would be the kind of the same way that an apprentice would learn a, tr a trade or a craft working with someone who's, who's done it for a while. Being around someone who out of years of devoted discipline uh, shows the apprentice by their entire behavior, what that trade is all about. And certainly part of that, there'll be times where there'll be verbal just instruction, you know, kind of stuff. This is how you do it. This is what you do. That's going to occur. But really, the idea of apprenticeship really happens um, a little, happens in a much deeper level than that. It's, it's through that daily and intimate association with, with a master. Picking up the, the things you're not going to just pick up through the verbal inspiration, things like, uh, that are essential, like, like timing and like rhythm. 
in, in touch. Again, it's experiential. It takes time, and there's no, it can't be artificially rushed, this kind of deep knowing. It can't be rushed thing. My son, Zach, loves to make things. He loves to know how things are made. I don't care what it is, from the pizza that Jessica made to something I f- fix in drywall or something. He always wants to know, how do you do that? How do you do that? And he wants to do it himself also, too. He wants to get in there and do it. And sometimes, that's great. I can show him. I can tell him, here's what I'm going to do. I can even show him sometimes. Sometimes I can even let him try it a bit, which is part of it. But there's some aspects to it, really, that you know, he, just, he just can't do. He can't because he's just not, he's just not ready to do it yet. It's simply just not going to happen. He needs time. He needs this, this time, and he needs development. I mean, you ever looked at a, at a, at a kid's, like, forearm, even, you know? Sometimes it's like, it's like a tube sock, almost, you know? Just completely, like, sort of smooth, just there. And, you know, any adult, any person who's, you know, over 16 or 18, you wiggle your fingers with, and you can see all, you know, very individual muscles. And, you know, not, not, not be a bodybuilder. It's just a matter that we've used our arms a lot more, and we've had a lot more experience and have a lot more fine motor skills. It's that kind of idea. You can't shortcut that. You don't come out of the womb with that kind of defined forearm, right? It's like a... It's like a tube, you know? <laughs> it's very different. But the muscles are there, right? They just need time. And that's kind of what it is with us here, too. Getting to know God takes time. Time spent in relationship with him that just can't, you can't rush it. can't be rushed. And that's what Paul's purpose is here. That's what his goal is. And, and let's not forget that what he's saying is that his goal is here, is, is that's not it. He wants to know Yeshua. We talk about what that means to know, know him and what the depth of that is like. But he says that I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. And this is also very instructive for us as, as citizens of God, this, this new life, these new citizens. Paul is talking about here supernatural power. The supernatural power of God is what he wants to know and what he wants to share in. Now, is this, the pur- is this for the purpose? Meaning, is, is this wanting to know the power of God, the power of God? Is this so that we can be powerful? Or and is this so that we can have some kind of, you know, we can get a lot of stuff and how to be personally enriched in some way. Um, I don't think so. I don't think that's what's going on here. Uh, I'm not against all that stuff, by the way. But I don't think that's what's being spoke of here. I mean, this is, a, this is you, know, you read uh, the rest of this letter. I mean, this actually, it's kind of ironic when I thought about this because, I, you know, Paul, this is the letter, you know, in Philippians 4 also we've read a million times, I can do all things through Messiah who strengthens me. And when you read that in context, I don't think that's about personal enrichment and getting things and being powerful and being able to do anything. I mean, he talks about meaning like from the lowest of the lows to the highest of the highs in anything. I can do all things. It's certainly in the context of struggles. So I don't think that's what he's talking about, this idea of overcoming and just being, being on top of things and personal enrichment. I think what he's speaking about here is just the, the simple power to, to live our lives while we're temporary citizens on the earth, right? Because we're here, right? But... We're also citizens of the kingdom. We've got this, right? Pretend this is the passport to heaven, but, you know, we've got that, right? And I think that's the power he's talking about, is, that we li- is the power to, to live out our lives in the Messiah, sort of in the, the, the now, but not yet, right? I'm here, I'm in heaven, but not yet. It's this, this tension. Earlier in Philippians 2, 12 to 5, it might be on the same page you're on there, but if not, I'll read it to you. Uh, Paul says, this is another part of the power, I believe, that he's referring to, the, the reason he wants to share in the knowledge and in the power of his resurrection. In Philippians 2, Paul says, Therefore, my loved ones, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For the one working in you is God, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing 
And here's the, the reason right here, what I'm getting at. Do it so that you might be blameless and innocent, children of God, in the midst of a crooked generation. He's talking about sin, you know, and being sucked into it. It's a very important that as, you know, as citizens of this kingdom, as people with new life, that we don't get sucked into the enticements of sin. And it's not necessarily easy. As Ariel pointed out earlier, uh, he said, you know, God has a very high standard there. Be holy as I am holy. It's a very, very big standard there. And there's no way to do that uh, without his power. So as new creations, kingdom of God's citizens, let's not be preoccupied with status. Okay, let's not, let's not do that. Let's resolve in this new life to become, become humbly obedient to him in all our ways and make a deliberate move away from sin. These little things, if I'm saying do this, this is all part of that overall new life resolution, right, which is to pursue God with purpose. Part of that's going to be making a deliberate movement away from sin by God's power. And in doing that involves, again, knowing him in an experiential and deep way, which involves time. And that's the path to experiencing and sharing his power. Again, this is, this is why this isn't a New Year's resolution. I mean, this is not something you just go out and do this afternoon, right? This is not something that you can necessarily do in 2014 even. That's why it's not a New Year's resolution. It's a new life resolution. And a quick note about verse 11. If some of you read this, uh, most translations have something very similar to uh, Paul saying here in verse 11 that if somehow, you know, he wants, I want to do all these things. I want to know God. I want to share in his, in his power and his sufferings. And I, I want to not build on my old foundation, but I want to do these things. If somehow I might, everybody's about it, probably got something in their translation that has a little bit of doubt laced in there. If somehow I might obtain the resurrection from the dead. And uh, the, the, I'll spare you a lot of the details there, but the grammar does suggest uh, a level of doubt, but, but most, it's, it's hard to, it doesn't mean he's doubting. Most people, most scholars who study this uh, agree that really what we see here is Paul uh, showing humility, expressing these are words of humility from Paul. And, you know, although Paul's been a believer, you think about this, the, at this point, probably been a believer, you know, in the neighborhood of 20 to 30 years, Paul, okay? This is not David, this is Paul, 20 to 30 years as a believer. And he's saying this, this is humility. He's not doubting, Okay? But even he realizes that his goal is not fully within his power. And I think it's very instructive for us to, to take away. We shouldn't look at this and say, oh gosh, even Paul doesn't know if he's saved. I wonder if I am. No, this is humility he's showing here. And it's the same for us. We need to understand that we simply, uh, you know, when we try to go out and sort of change things in our life here, we can't just simply read enough. We can't just pray more, pray enough. We can't give more, serve more. Uh, I'm not saying not to do any of those things, but don't see those as the avenues uh, towards um, you know, towards the resurrection from the dead, as Paul's talking about here. Understand that our power and our hope for everything rests squarely on God. And I think Paul is being instructive uh, for us here to let us know that, that it's squarely on his shoulders and his alone. And Paul goes on to elaborate on this fact. He kind of goes, he kind of stays on this theme for a minute, of this sort of humble theme a bit uh, in verse 12 when he says, when we move on, he says, not that I have already obtained this, or been perfected, but I press on, uh, I press on, if only I might take hold of that for which Messiah Yeshua took hold of me. Now your translations may say something very different there too. I think Stearns was similar, but that, that, that verse grabbed me. I'm going to read it again. 
Paul says, now that I, not that I have already obtained this or been perfected, but I press on, if only I might take hold of that for which Messiah Yeshua took hold of me. Okay, let's talk about that a bit. By entering this new life, this new citizenship, God has done something for us that we really don't understand. We really don't. Not even Paul fully did. You know, still, after all these years, we see here Paul was trying to get a handle on the love of God. He was trying to get a hold of that for which God got a hold of him. He was still trying to, to square that in his head. A love that caused God to take hold of Paul. You know, Yeshua took hold or apprehended Paul, right? We'll talk about that in a minute, too, about, wh- about when that happened. And in, reper- and in return, that's the picture. Yeshua took hold of Paul, and now Paul's saying in return, I want to take hold or apprehend that same love that, 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 that Yeshua had for him. Let's, let's stop here for a sec. You know, for someone like, like Floyd, for example, your mind's running through all the possibilities of what about Floyd? You know, <laughs> no. Someone like Floyd who was in the business of catching bad guys for a living, okay? Think about someone who does that. What does it really mean when, when he finally apprehends a criminal? Now, Floyd, if a colleague comes to you and says, hey, we finally apprehended that guy that stole the tractor trailer full of TVs, would you think, oh, you must have just been outside and you stumbled across him. Oh, hey, look, there's the guy. Let's get it. You know, is that what it means when they say we've, we've, we apprehended him? No, of course not. Undoubtedly, it involved a very detailed search and investigation, maybe even interviewing lots of people related to the situation or people that had stores nearby where the truck was seen or maybe there were late-night stakeouts with lots of uh, coffee and bagels, uh, you know, and, and night vision goggles and all this kind of stuff until you finally put all those things together and after hard work and mental exhaustion and chasing people down, you finally got him, right? That's what apprehend means. And that's what God did to Paul and what Paul wants to do in return. Paul wants to press on and do it. He wants to press on and apprehend. And, and interestingly, um, this word translated press on, it's used a couple times in this book, and it's actually a couple times in our passage, which I think it's, it's kind of important to talk about it. It also carries the, uh, the meaning of persecuting and chasing. Same word when you look at it. Same word that means persecuting and chasing. It's the same word in verse 6. If you look back to verse 6 when Paul says, kind of given his credentials, and he says, you know, in terms of my zeal, you know, I was a persecutor of the, of the, the ecclesia. I was a persecutor of the church. You know, it's the exact same word that's being used there. Uh, kind of ironically, I think. It's ironic how God flipped things around. You know, Paul once pursued to apprehend the body of Messiah out of a negative zeal against them. And now, a few verses later, he wants to pursue the Messiah himself out of a deep longing, positive longing, to be like him and to, to, be, to be with him. So part of our, our new life resolution requires this, uh, this of us as well, I believe. Part of this new, right, new life resolution of, of pursuing God with purpose requires us to hasten, to run, to press on, and to pursue Yeshua and be like him. This is the goal of, of perfection that Paul's talking about. Talking about wanting to be wanting to be perfect or perfected. And really, of course, it's not perfect. When you see this word in, in the Bible, every time you see, anytime you see perfect, it doesn't mean like perfect. <laughs> you know, it means, it means mature and full. Is that right, Dr. Uh, Hecht? Yes, New Testament, Dr. Hecht. See, that's right. Complete and mature. And like Ariel said, again, 
there's a high standard to be like Messiah. And that's what new life's all about. That's, that's the picture of maturity or perfection in the life of a believer in Yeshua. And, and it's key here to read between the lines uh, in, this, in this section right here, this, in this verse 12. And when I say that, read between the lines means to... to un- Do you know, you know that term, read between the lines? I always pick on you. I'm sorry. I'm always curious. Read between the lines means to, something's not there, but it's there, kind of implied. So we want to read between the lines what Paul's talking about there when he talks about having been apprehended by Yeshua. Because this, again, this is also very instructive for us, I believe. When he says, I want to I apprehend you know, that for which Yeshua apprehended me, he's hearkening back to his one-on-one experience that he had with Yeshua, right? And that was in Acts chapter 9. We read there in Acts chapter 9 how Paul, while it says in my translation, is still breathing out threats and murder against the Lord's disciples. At that time, he was visited by Yeshua as he traveled to Damascus. This visitation was a, a defining moment for Paul and the first step in him becoming what it says there in Acts 9 as a choice instrument. So you got this guy who was breathing out threats, killing people, had, had orders, he had instructions, and he had approval from the people that he could put people to death, imprison them or whatever, who believed in Yeshua. That was what God said was his choice instrument. That's where Paul was appreh- That's the time Paul was apprehended. So Paul's thinking back to that, to that moment when he says it, you know. That was his experience of being apprehended by God that he's thinking about in terms of wanting to, to know, you know, he wants to understand that, that God did for him at that time. And that's what set in motion Paul's desire to pursue him and understand that love. So what about you? You, plural. I'm not talking to you and individuals. This is everybody, me. Why are you sitting here today? You love driving in the snow. It is fun doing donuts out in the parking lot, by the way. <laughs> I wish I had a rear wheel, rear wheel drive car, but I do my best in my in my minivan, you know. But uh, I just don't want to flip that thing sometime. But it's fun. But why are you sitting here? You know, did you at some point, you know, Paul? Paul's thinking back in his mind, twenty, thirty years ago. I want you to think there too. You know, did did you hear maybe that God loved you? And did you wonder how, how, or why? Think back, because you didn't just arrive, stumble over. Uh, being a believer, right? God spoke to you somewhere, sometime. Maybe you were excited. Maybe you were scared. Maybe you wrestled with it for a day, month, year, years. I don't know. But God had a destiny for you then, and that's when it started. Even if you didn't know it then, he had a destiny for you. Even if you still don't know it and aren't sure about it. And we see here that even Paul, who was visited by God, I mean visited, but read Acts 9. It wasn't, you know, it was, it was a blinding light. It blinded him. He spoke to him, told him who he was, you know. Even Paul, who was visited by God, still wondered why God had grabbed him. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, encourages us to run with endurance the race set before us, focusing on Yeshua, the initiator and perfecter of faith. And I want to tell you that when you think back to where you were and you try to figure out why you're here, and maybe, again, maybe the race that you knew about at one time seems like you're not even sure what that is anymore, uh, I want to encourage you and let you know that the race hasn't moved. The track is still there. And just like Paul is alluding to here, same goes for us. A good dose of, of memory about one's beginnings in the Messiah and why you're here, a good dose of that can serve as just the proper shot of adrenaline to keep you running in the race. So we come now to, to, to verses 13 and 14, which are the, the final two passages uh, 
for us today. And let's just want to read them again. Verses 13 and 14 say, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself as, taken, as having taken hold of this, but this one thing I do, excuse me, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal for the reward of the upward calling of God in Messiah Yeshua. This language here, it's a change in the language that you read early on. If you kind of read this in context, he goes kind of from a sort of an accounting kind of language where he talks about sort of this, this athletic imagery. And he uses it elsewhere in other, other of his writings. But it's, this, it's very helpful, I think, this athletic imagery for us uh, in terms of uh, succeeding with our, our new life resolution. And this verse really encapsulates the image, I think, of what it looks like to live this, this new life. And the picture we get from these verses, I think, is three, threefold. Number one, the picture is one of, 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 I'll do it in your direction, let's see, forgetting what's behind, right? Focusing on the goal or the mark to then receive the prize. So it's this threefold, this image of, you know, fo- forgetting what's behind, focusing on a mark in order to receive the prize. So forgetting, what does Paul mean by forgetting? When Paul's giving his instructions to forget, what does it mean? Um, does he mean that we should look down on what we've done in the past and you just how do they say it Floyd let's hear you know what I'm what do they say what do those wise guys say in Chicago forget about it it. yeah just to forget all that stuff thanks for playing we didn't work this out in advance that was good is that what he means just to forget all that stuff like like that's what Paul was doing someone said that's what Paul was doing with his Jewish heritage he was just downplaying it saying you know that's part of our history you know I mean that's just something I need to forget about no, it's, it, that's not what he's saying. By, by forgetting, he's not saying that. He's not saying to just downplay what's gone on in the past, good or bad. It's part of our history. It has its place. So does, does, does Paul, by saying forgetting, does he mean just wipe it out entirely? Forget it, right? Jorge, big fluffy pink elephant, okay? You got it? Forget about it now. Just stop thinking about that. You know? You can't. You can't even. You can't do that, right? It's not like the. Anyone seen Men in Black? They had that, that old movie with the, the light thing, and they they zap people's memories so they forget. You know, that'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? Sometimes, but you know, how many of you tried to forget something? Does it work? No. Yeah, maybe back in college, some of you, you know, wake up the next day. Oh, what did I do? Well, why did I do that? You know, you remember. Sometimes I wish I could have forgot some of those those celebratory evenings. But no, you, you just can't do it, right? So what does he mean? Well, forgetting is an active word that's used here. He doesn't say forget. It does say forgetting, forgetting what's behind. It's ongoing, okay? It's a process. And just like Paul, he alluded to his salvation experience earlier by, by thinking about how Messiah took a hold of him. Just by him doing that, forgetting obviously involves a certain amount of remembering, doesn't it? This is the time when oh, your brains are going to start smoking now or you... You know, I'm forgetting by remembering. I mean, yeah. I mean, forgetting is an active process, but it certainly involves a certain amount of remembering. Now, remembering is vital in the sense that it shows where God began with us, which we talked about a minute ago, whether that be success, whether that be failure. But the important part about forgetting is that we don't want to dwell on it. Okay? For, for forgetting definitely means we don't want to dwell Okay, we want to stay focused on what's ahead. And again, this is athletic imagery, specifically running a race imagery. Okay, a runner knows what's behind them. 
A runner has an idea of what's behind them, who's behind them. It's important. It's very important. They can't ignore it. But looking back or dwelling on that is going to hinder their, their progress, right? Anybody know who Roger Bannister is? I'll ask Tobias. He's so young. You don't know Roger Bannister, do you? You probably run a mile less than four minutes now. No problem, right? Well, believe it or not, way back in the day, people do that routinely. 350s, 330s, 340s. They run a mile that fast. Back in the day, no one ran a mile under four minutes until in 1952, a guy named Roger Bannister did. They had all these funny things like, oh, if you run it, it's not humanly possible. It's not physically possible. Your heart will literally you know, come shooting out of your chest if you do. Anyways, Roger Bannister ran the first uh, sub-four-minute mile recorded. And then uh, in 1954, actually between 1952 and 54, a guy bested his record, a guy named John Landon. And in 1954, these guys met in a race. It was a big deal. It's actually on YouTube if you watch. I think they call it the Miracle Mile or something like that. But they, uh, anyways, these two guys are racing. So Landon is, out, is ahead the whole time of the race, right? And they're coming into the last turn. And so it's like a left turn to run like probably the last 200 meters. And uh, it's a 1,500-meter race. So Landon's ahead. Bannister's behind him. Landon looks like this to see where Bannister is. And guess where Bannister goes? <laughs> goes around him on the right-hand side and beats him at the tape. I watched it last night. It's pretty cool. Again, it was important. Uh, for La- I said Landing. Is, La- is it Landy? Whatever. John Landy. It's John Landy if you do search it. You're not Landon. It's John Landy. But Landy, you know, he, it was important for him to know what was there, right? He didn't want to be oblivious and think no one's there, block it out of his mind, forget about it, nothing like that. But he would have been better served to look ahead and rely on his knowledge, right? And maybe, maybe his peripheral vision. <laughs> yeah. So another part of, of our new life resolution Another part of it is going to be to work on forgetting. Okay, remember, this involves remembering, but not parking, okay? Not parking on our failures. Not parking on our successes, you know? Neither. Whatever we have in our past, be they success, be they failures, forget them, okay? Turn them over to God that, that it was part of his overall plan. Again, whether it's success, whether it's good, it, it's, it's, it's consigned to him. But move on from there, focusing on the goal. So that takes me to the second part of the imagery. I said there was one was forgetting and focusing to receive the prize. This next part is focusing, focusing on the goal or the mark. And Paul writes this very emphatically here, this, 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 uh, this the mark. He talks about the mark. He puts it right at the front of the sentence to grab our attention. Not in English, but in the, in the original language. It's right there. So it's very important to him. He says, look, this mark, here's the mark. Don't forget about it. He wants to draw our attention to it. Um, the mark is what ensures that we are on track and we're going to make it to receive the prize, which we'll talk about before we end here. We'll talk about the prize. But the mark is that thing that stays in front of us that keeps us on track. I, um, I started riding motorcycles in high school. Um, so, and I haven't ridden one for many years, but I, I've had it through college and it's before I came to Denver. When I first started, I didn't know the first thing about riding motorcycles other than probably the draw that other people have. They want to ride a motorcycle. It looks cool and all this kind of thing. and want to learn how to ride it. So I took a, a motorcycle safety f- a course and uh, learned all kinds of stuff about riding a motorcycle. And one of the things we learned, or some of the things we learned, they gave to us in acronyms. Now, I did this back in 1986, maybe, <laughs> seven. But I remember the acronyms. Acronyms are, are good like that. Uh, so for starting the motorcycle, I remembered uh, uh, F-I-N-E-C, Anyone taking the MSF course, motorcycle safeties? I know it's, all, it's good. It's all new to you. For, great. 
So fine C. I learned fine C. That's the way to start a motorcycle. You turn the fuel on, turn the ignition on, make sure the bike's in neutral, put the engine cutoff switch on, turn the choke. That's it. Fine C. That, that's all the things in order to turn it on. When you're riding, you want to you do SIPDE, SIPD. You want to scan, identify, predict, determine, execute. Okay? So you want to scan for stuff that's going on on the road, identify potential issues like Floyd Zims and his Mercedes pulling into the lane ready to hit you, and, <laughs> and determine, decide that you're going to move to the side and execute it and go do it, right? Uh, and then we learned uh, when it comes to, like, you're coming into a curve to take a turn, you want to you want to you want to uh, S L L R or S S L L R. You want to slow. I say signal. You want to signal first. Don't you hate people slow before they signal, even in cars? They slam on the brakes. What are you doing? Oh, you're turning. Okay. You slowed, then you signaled. How about you signal? Signal slow, then you look through the turn, then you lean and you roll on the throttle. Okay. So slow look, lean roll. Now that one's pertinent to our conversation here because it's got the look piece. And what look means is that you look. Where do you look? You're going into a turn. Let's look. No. You look. Um, the road's over there. So you look over there. Okay? It's one of sort of the, the mantras in motorcycle riding is that you're going to go where you're going to look. You look where you, or you go where you look. If you're on the Blue Ridge Parkway in Virginia riding along and it's, it's fall and there's beautiful leaves on the trees and you're cruising on your motorcycle and you're looking at the leaves, you're going to go into the trees. And if you're on that turn and the ground's down there and you're worried and you, you look at the ground, guess where you're going? The ground. Okay. So you look through the turn. You look through the exit of the turn because that's where you want to be eventually, hopefully, right? And it's the same here with Paul. He says to, to, to focus on the mark or the goal, okay? It's paramount in order to, in order to survive, uh, certainly on a motorcycle. I've seen it happen the other way before. Uh, but it's certainly important to keep your eyes on that mark, on that goal, in order to make it to the prize that's waiting for us. And you might say, wait a minute, wait, wait. you said the prize that's waiting for us. Um, that sounds like you're talking about the future to me, right? And for us in our society, a society where everything uh, vies for our attention right now, instant access to information, internet, all these things, right? Right now, in an environment like that future, talking about the future, it's often a, a dirty word, <laughs> Uh, certainly an ignored word. We don't want to talk about the future. But if we, if we succumb to the pressures that society places on us, the pressure, uh, pressures to keep up appearances, the pressures to do things that we don't want to do, and the pressures to acquire things that we don't want or need, and to do it with money that we don't have, to impress people that we don't even like, or that we don't even know in some cases, um, if we do that, if we succumb to that, if we succumb to thinking that the future and keeping our eyes somewhere off in the future is a dirty thing, then we, uh, we risk taking our eyes off the mark. And in 1 Corinthians 9.24, Paul says it this way. He says to run in such a way that you may win. <laughs> Pretty simple. In Hebrews 12.1-2, we read a little bit of again, but I want to read part of it again. That says, let us run with endurance the race set before us, focusing on Yeshua, the initiator of and perfecter of our faith. So another, another aspect of accomplishing this new life resolution uh, is to don't do it. Don't do what? Don't get distracted by all that's around you, pulling your gaze away from the goal and from the mark. And why not? Well, for the prize. That's the last thing, the prize. The prize of the upward call of God and Messiah Yeshua. That's 
pretty much the literal translation of what it says there. The prize of the upward call of God and Messiah Yeshua. Keep in mind, this is the reward after the race. This is not the, hey, Roger Bannister ran the first 1,000 meters. It's not about the first 1,000 meters. It's after the race, which is 1,500 meters. There's 500 left after that. Um, but you know, this is not, a, and it's not about lofty life on earth. It's about ultimately heaven. And it's not like the, like the lotto Powerball. You know, there's, there's a big Powerball winner. And there's, there's always like a Powerball jackpot. Everything I, every day I hear about a new one. I don't know, can't keep up with them all. But in that one, there's like one winner, maybe a couple winners, maybe a group of 50 winners that, you know, put together something like that. But that's not like that. That's not the kind of prize we're looking for that's just sort of available for, for one person or a few winners. No, it's for all, all of us who have put our faith in Messiah Yeshua as Lord, um, who are citizens of the kingdom, keep your eyes on the mark, finish the race, the prize is for all of us. 1 Timothy 4, 7-8 describes the prize this way. It says, But avoid godless myths and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself in godliness. For physical exercise has some benefit, but godliness is beneficial for all things, holding promise for both this present life and the one to come. Amen. Talking about the prize. And I often hear people saying things like, you know, I've been walking with the Lord for, you know, 10 years, 5 years, 25 years, 30 years. And they talk about, you know, my spiritual walk, walking with the Lord. And I've said it myself. I've said it myself too. Um, that kind of thing. I've my, about my personal, my walk with God and this kind of thing. But this final verse uh, that, that we read here really challenged me. When, when, when we see the picture that this verse has of this forgetting what's behind and putting your eyes on the mark and you know, reaching for it to, to make, get the prize. When I think about the way I've talked about my spiritual walk and I've walked with the Lord for this many years and so forth, it really challenged me. You know, I walk, uh, I'm walking now, I walk about every day, right? Most of us do. Uh, we Usually for some purpose or another, right? I mean, we get from our house to our car, from our car, we get out, walk to the coffee shop to get coffee and then we walk back to the car and maybe we walk to... I mean, we drive to work, we, we get out of our car to walk across the street, and we walk a little quicker to avoid oncoming traffic, you know, to walk into our office building or whatever it might be. We walk for a purpose, right? Even, even walking for exercise, some of us that like to enjoy, just enjoy walking, it has a purpose, right? But unless we have uh, Alzheimer's disease or if we're sleepwalking, we never just walk just because it's, you know, it's super fun and cool. Reality is most likely there's always a, some kind of purpose behind while you're walking. You're not just out there aimlessly walking, again, unless you've got you know, a, a mental issue or, or, or you're walking in your sleep or something. And I want to suggest that it should be the same with regard to our spiritual walk as well. When we talk about, I've been walking with the Lord, I've you know, been walking with the Lord for this many years, my spiritual walk. And as Chaim would say, uh, I'm not pointing a bony finger. <laughs> Right? I'm pointing it at myself as well. I'm a fellow struggler. But unfortunately, I believe that many followers of Yeshua are merely strolling with God for no real purpose or just an ambiguous purpose at best. Maybe just content with knowing, well, my salvation is squared away, which it is. It's great. But I, tend, I think that we tend to lose sight of our purpose. We tend to lose sight of our prize and what our spiritual walk is and our, our pilgrimage with, with the Lord is about. And that's why I wanted to talk about making a new life resolution to, you know, walk with God with, with purpose. 
pursue God, but pursue God with purpose. We've seen that in the language here. And as we look at these verses today, I believe Paul reminds us of that. He reminds us that there is a definite goal. There is a definite purpose in this walk. There's a, a very good New Testament scholar. I think he's good. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I like Moises Silva. I'm sure you've read Moises Silva before. He says it in this way. He says that Paul looks forward to the resurrection, not merely because he's interested in a new body, but the resurrection represents perfection at every level of his existence. And so it's mentioned here as the culmination of his spiritual pilgrimage. In other words, Paul knows where he's going. Do you? We're going to take the next few minutes to praise the Lord and music and prayer. And during that time, I'd want to encourage you to consider your citizenship in the kingdom. I'd want to consider you to consider that the new life that you received sometime in the past. Think about it. I want to encourage you to consider the different aspects that we talked about today with regard to the new life, or regard to this new life resolution of pursuing God with purpose. I want you to think about the time that you were that you were sworn in, right? The day you pledged allegiance to this new kingdom, the day you got this passport through Yeshua the Messiah. Think about where you were before that time, where you've been since that time. Don't dwell there. Think about it objectively. Recognize all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly. Recognize all that as part of his overall purpose, okay? As we take this time, I want to encourage you to ask him, ask the Lord to show you if you've taken your eyes off the mark in any way, if you've taken your eyes or lost sight of the race that he has set before you, the track. And I want to encourage you to ask him to help you press on and pursue Yeshua so that you can be more like him. These are a lot of things, I know, but pick one of them. I want you to consider thanking him, thanking him for the prize that he has waiting for you as a result of your faith in him. But overall, overall these things, I want you to consider your spiritual walk with God, if you term it that way, or if you see it that way, if you see that your life with the Lord as a spiritual walk. I want you to consider that as something that has a definitive purpose behind it, as if, as if you were in hot pursuit you were chasing after it, to apprehend it. Not simply a meaningless stroll on the right side of the tracks, which is, you know, again, not a bad thing, but not simply a mean. You know, we're on the right side of the tracks, but there's no meaning behind it. Think about it the other way. Definitive purpose behind it. That's the new life resolution that I want to impart uh, to you from this passage. The new, the new life resolution to pursue God with purpose. And finally, but, but not lastly, um, if there's anyone here today that, that, that is not there yet, meaning they don't have a personal, you don't have a personal relationship with God, to even begin this. You don't know God through Yeshua, the Messiah. This is the first Shabbat of the year, and I think it's a perfect time to make that all-important first step in this newness of life. Let that new life begin today.